Let's have a seat. Good morning to you. I'm sorry, good morning to you. Oh, it's so good to see such enthusiasm. Um, a couple of things I just want to remind you of. The Bible overview class Wednesday night will be awesome. Robert and Kim Ball are leading that. Go, go online. Last year was the first time. It was phenomenal. And it's going to be even better this year. So if you want to learn the overview of the scriptures, go to that Wednesday night. Other thing I want to just mention, <clears throat> I think our best people, our most devout, most talented people, should work with children and youth. Want to change the world? That's how you do it. My wife uh, did children's ministry 40 years. I did youth work for 15 years as a volunteer. So we could always use help holding a baby, being an assistant, and you can work, you can serve one hour once a month at one service and attend the other service. So it's not a big commitment, but boy, does it change lives. So there'll be people in the foyer at a family ministries table that can tell you next step. Let's pray. Shall we pray? Well, thank you. Well, Lord, this is a day you've made, and we're going to rejoice and be glad in it. Thank you for every person here. Thank you for every person watching online. And so, Lord, shape us, change us, reveal our future more and more in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. amen. Let's turn to the book of Romans and hope everybody, everybody got a Bible. Did you bring a Bible? Hold your Bible up. Let's see. Uh, mark in your Bible. Don't mark on your phone. It doesn't go away. That's a joke. If you need a Bible, there's some Bibles in the lobby. You're welcome to one. Uh, this message is pretty straightforward. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be what? Saved. Do you want to change the world? Would you? Would you like to make your life count? I do. It's one life at a time. Small things. One relationship. One life. That's how you change the world. And uh, the passage we're going to read, Paul gives great detail on how the kingdom of God invades a broken life. And we've all been broken. Maybe you're really broken right now. But how does God get in? And I want to say this is so important. I give you an outline. There's a pen. If you take notes, you'll learn three times more than the person who doesn't. You can save it. You can look over it. But this is pretty awesome what the scripture says. So let's open to Romans 10. And normally I teach out of either New American Standard, which is what we're doing today, or English Standard Version, both, both very accurate versions. So let's start. Verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you. It's in your what? It's in your mouth or it's in your heart. That is the word of faith which we're preaching. That if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the, from the dead, you shall be what? Saved. Saved. 
For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. Verse 13, our theme verse. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now verse 14 and 15, there are five hows, H-O-W, and I would love if you mark in your Bible, to mark these. First one, how then will they call on him who they have not believed? Now follow the logic. How will they believe in him whom they've never heard about? How will they hear unless a preacher goes? Verse 15, how will they preach unless somebody sends them? Just as it is written, the fifth how. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of awesome things. So let's just go right through the passage. Now the scripture says that the word of God, the word that transforms lives is near you. How near is it? It's in your mouth. And it is in your heart, those two places. So you have to let it out of your heart. And you have to let it out of your mouth, or it does no good. Mouth and heart. Paul also wrote this, one of my favorite verses. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not embarrassed. I'm not reluctant. I'm not apologetic. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power, everyone say power, of God for salvation to a few people. Is that what it says? To everyone who believes. Would you guys say this out loud with me? It's good when we repeat the scripture. Say it. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for to everyone who believes. Now, I want to challenge current thought. Maybe you don't think this or maybe... Your family doesn't think this, or maybe preachers don't think this. But let me tell you where it comes from. It comes from the devil, and the devil says people aren't open. I want to tell you people are open to God. They're open everywhere, and they are receptive. It's a numbers game. If I talk to 10 people, I'm probably going to find three that will receive Christ. And I'll get to pray with two or three others. People are open everywhere because people are looking for God. The year I was searching for God, I had a problem. I couldn't find anybody to talk to me. They're blind. I was blind. They don't know how to find him. And unless somebody comes along, they're not going to find him. Because somebody else has to help me and help you and help others find him. The problem in our country why our country is melting down is because people don't pray the word of God is neglected and people don't open their mouth 
They don't help people around them because they think, well, I don't know what to do or let somebody else do that or I'm not trained or I might mess it up. There's a thousand excuses, but they don't open their mouth. And the reason they don't open their mouth, they don't have any confidence. Everyone say confidence. They don't have confidence in the scriptures. They don't have confidence in the ministry of the spirit. They don't have confidence that people are broken. They need help. And so if you're not passionate about this, you're going to probably be distracted by all kind of other stuff. Nothing wrong with social media, but you got eight hours for social media, but you don't have an hour a week to help people find it. I mean, there's something wrong, something wrong. Now, Statistics say that only 5%, 5%, how many? 5% of American Christians that love Jesus, that believe in the Bible, have ever, ever led anybody to Jesus. 5%. I remember a woman I trained to share the gospel. She was in her 80s. And I remember she came back so excited one night and Hazel said, Pastor Steve, I led my first person to Christ. I'm so excited. I thought I would never get to do it. And Lord, I've learned how easy it is. And thank you for helping me. Yes, we need to keep our walk with the Lord close. Yes, we need to love our spouses, be devoted to our children. We need to be faithful at work. But if you're not careful, you have no time to help people by leading them to Jesus. One year went by, another year went by, another year went by, a decade went by, and people are drowning. You have a lifeboat, and you haven't taken the time to help people because you don't have confidence. Now, Paul went on to say the word of faith that you're sharing or preaching, and that word preaching, I don't like the word preaching. That's not a good translation in your English text. It really means sharing. And if the word is not shared, lives will not be transformed. That's just how it works. Number three, here's what the scripture says. If a person confesses with their mouth, they confess with their what? Confess with their mouth, Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart. So it's two-cycled. They confess with their mouth, and then it sinks down to their heart. They may have heard with their ears. They may have seen stuff with their eyes. It may go through their brain, but it's got to come out of their mouth. That God raised his son from the dead. What's such a big deal about that? That's the deal. There is no other deal. The fact that Jesus died on a cross, the fact, the fact, historical fact that Jesus walked out of the tomb means he purchased our salvation, our sonship, our calling. Everything we have is good. Every stable thing came from the fact of the resurrection and the crucifixion. And he says, if you confess with your mouth, And believe in your heart, you shall be what? It won't hurt you to say it. Go ahead and say it. One more time. Saved. Saved. That's a biblical term. Saved. Look at this picture. 
America, not so much, but all over the world, Asia, Africa, uh, Latin America, the gospel is exploding. Look at this baptism. Two new Iranian believers. Praise God is right. The fastest growing church in the world is in Iran. And it's among young people. They're having visions of Jesus. They're having visitations of angels. They, have, they despise what their leadership is telling them. And they're going, there must be something more than this. They're listening to Christian broadcasts and podcasts. And they're having encounters and their lives are changed. It's amazing. It is amazing. So here's the steps, according to what Paul wrote. One is the confession of Christ. And confession means you agree. Whenever someone receives Christ, if I'm with them, uh, if they're here in the church and I've got a friend coming by, and I will say, hey, Cindy, come over here. I want you to meet your new friend, Jill. And I'll say, uh, Jill, tell Cindy what you just did. Well, I just gave my heart to Christ. It's like what happened at the last service. What'd you do? I just gave my heart to Christ. Awesome. Hugs. Excitement. Billy Graham. For 60 years, every time he did a crusade, one of the last things he said was, if you deny me before my father, I will, if you deny me, I will deny you before my father in heaven. It's good to confess it. The night I gave my heart to Christ, it was a Wednesday night. I happened to be, <clears throat> I was vice president of my senior class, vice in the meaning of wickedness. And I happened to be singing in a Baptist youth choir because the girls were pretty and I was a lost man. But the night before I gave my heart to Christ. And then the leader of the group said, anybody want to share their story? And I went, and I went, what have I just done? I told all 500 of my classmates I had just given my heart to Christ eight hours earlier. And I was going to walk with God. And that burned all my wicked bridges. And I had young Christians come up to me and say, you know what, I'm a Christian too, but I've always been afraid to tell people. Well, I told people. And it helped. There could be such a thing as a secret Christian, but I doubt it. I don't want people to tell people. When we lead people to Christ in a restaurant, in our home, I usually will say before I leave, I want you to call somebody. Call somebody tonight. Your mama's been praying for you, you wicked rascal, for 40 years. You owe her a call. Call her tonight. Tell her what you do. Your ex-wife has been praying for you for 15 years. I want you, will you call her? Your son has been praying for you. Would you call your son? Yes. Well, that seals the deal. And the second part is believing. Everyone say believing. So people hear with their ears, see with their eyes, it goes through their brain, they confess it, and then it soaks down into their heart, and that's what brings a transformation. Again, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be what? You shall be saved. And he goes on to give us more good information. Because it's with the heart a person believes. 
and that results in righteousness, which means right standing, new way of living, new way of thinking, right thinking. Stuff you never thought about before. You start thinking. Right talking. Here is the greatest sign that I had been saved and was a new creation in Christ. I was raised in a good family. They didn't, they weren't spiritual, they were moral people. And when I and I played ball from the time I was little, and I started playing with older guys. And I started, my language was worse than four sailors put together. <clears throat> oh, did I have a swearing, cursing problem. I even tried to stop. A bunch of us ball players said, we shouldn't talk like this. This is horrible. And so we said, well, let's get a jar. And every time you swear, you got to put a dollar in. I was broke by lunch. <laughs> I couldn't stop. But two months after my conversion, which would have been about middle of, July, I realized, oh my goodness, I'm not swearing anymore. And I didn't even try. It just disappeared. And that leads to right actions. Now, let me be clear, it's not perfect. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, I'm not perfect. Go ahead, just not me, you, not me. I think, no, I'm not. Turn to your neighbor and say, hey, I'm not perfect. You get that, right? We will never be perfect. Never a perfect marriage, perfect kid, perfect sermon. It's always wheat and tares. It's okay. My imperfections make me need him. If I don't need him, I'm in worse shape. So it's never perfect, but changed. Everyone say changed. That's how the kingdom. So with a mouth, the person confesses, resulting in salvation. I want him to say it. I want them to pray it. I ask them, what did you just do? I want them to say it. So you got the two-part process. They say it. It comes out of their mouth. It goes into their heart. Say it with me, please. It goes out of their mouth and goes to their heart. See that, how that works? Now, and then Paul goes on to say, whoever believes in him will not ever be disappointed. I've been doing this over 50 years. I've seen a lot of people come to Christ. <clears throat> it's my favorite thing, one of my favorite things to do. You say, I don't understand. Well, let me help you. Does that mean some of the folks I've led to Christ didn't have hardship? Practically all of them did. It may get harder after you receive Christ. Before, you were just going downstream with the devil and his people. Now you're going upstream. And I've seen some people that received Christ, man, their life fell apart. They had hardship, they had difficulty, all kind of things happened. Does that mean they'll never have a heartbreak? No, honey, you're probably gonna have more heartbreak. I've had my heart broken so many times, it's okay. Does that mean uh, I'll never get persecuted? No. If you live strong for Jesus, you will get pushback. Does that mean I won't have pain? No, you're probably going to have pain inside and out. But I've never had one person, one, 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 one in 50 years. Some of them, I love wicked, gnarly, selfish, arrogant, rough men. Those are my favorites. Because if Jesus gets them, he can get anybody. Even on their deathbed or two years before they die, 
and nobody will love them, but I'll love them, and I'll tell them about Jesus, and they get so bad, they finally go, I got nowhere else to go. I said, well, Jesus has been waiting for you like 50 years, dude. And they received Christ, and I've never had one, 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 one say, boy, that was the dumbest deal ever. Why did you tell me about Jesus? Who wants to be forgiven? Why do I want peace? I don't want peace. Why do I want my marriage healed? Why did you do that? You know what they always say? Here's what they always say. Even if it got three weeks to live, they always say this. Can I do that again? That hurts. Here's what they always say. Why did I wait so long? Why didn't I do this 20 years ago? Number six. Paul writes, there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. Why Jew and Greek? Paul was a Jew. The majority of the world was a Greek world because of a guy named Alexander the Great. Made Greek the trade language, Greek music, Greek art, Greek literature, Greek everything. So you were either, in Paul's time, Jew, or you were Gentile or Greek world. And he said there's no difference. Jew and Greek, Filipino, Japanese, Cambodian, Canadian, German, Russian. There's no difference for anyone. It works the same for everyone. Say everyone. In every culture. I've seen it. Places all over the world. Matter of fact, I've seen, it seems like people come to Christ easier in other cultures than they do here. Because we got it so soft and so cushy, and we're so rich, and it works any time. I have been surprised and stunned at people that I thought, there's no way they're going to give their heart to Christ, and 30 people come forward and give their heart to Christ. And it wasn't about me. It had nothing to do with me. Nothing to do with me. Now look at, look at the picture. Every year, and around Christmas time, a lot of us get these cardboard boxes for our Samaritan's purse. We put about 20 bucks of stuff, rubber balls, toothpaste, shampoo, yo-yos, stuff kids have never seen in places around the world. So this little church family, we did about 545, spent 25, 30 bucks. Here's how it works. They show up in Nigeria. They show up in Nigeria, uh, Ecuador. They show up in Yemen. And it's through a local church. The children are invited. They're giving these boxes. The The kids go crazy with joy. There's a gospel track in every one of them. And the pastor or somebody through that church shares the gospel. And any of those children that receive the Lord, they're invited into a discipleship process. And to think, you touched a life on the other side of the world for $30. And you have people come to you in heaven who will say, you don't know me, but you paid for the box that changed my life. Someone say, amen. Now here's a key verse, key verse. Say it three times. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be what? 
shall be saved. This is a key verse. This is the center of this passage. What does it mean to be saved, Steve? I have no clue. I don't know what well it means. The Lord of heaven just adopted you. You were a child of the devil. Now he adopted you as a son or daughter of the living God. You are now forgiven of all your past, all your sins, all your regrets. You are justified. Everyone say justified. Justified means it's a legal term that all your stuff from your past, the judge of the universe said, not guilty. Erased. Pardon. Is that a good thing? Would that be yes? That's a very good thing. And then you have been transformed. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away and a lot of new cool stuff comes. And then you've been accepted and will never be rejected by the Father. And you've been redeemed. Everyone say the word redeemed. What does that mean? That that meant that the devil kidnapped you and your family. And Jesus paid the ransom so you could be liberated. That's what redeemed means. And that's a great term. But everyone who will ever be saved has to call themselves. I can't call for them. I can pray for them. I can encourage them. I can tell them how. I can say, let's do life afterwards. I can do a lot of stuff. But they got to do. They got to press the button. They got to vote. They got to check the box. They got to open the door. Because I can't do it for them. They have to do it themselves. And I opened the door for the Lord Jesus to come into my life May 10th, 1972. I thought nothing happened. I was by myself. 85-year-old woman spoke in my church four nights. People say, you know, women shouldn't do this or women shouldn't do that. I'm glad that woman didn't read that paper. Because she came because nobody else would. And when she left, when she came, I was a lost man. When she left, I was a saved man. And I never got to talk to her. But I'm grateful for her. So if you want God to use you, and just out of curiosity, would you hold your hand up? Would you like for God to use you? Okay? Okay. If you want God to use you, I want to share the rest of this process because you need to figure this out need to see how this works. It's not hard. And it's the five hows. We've already mentioned it. Five. How many of them? Five. Thank you. Here's the first one. How will they call on him if they don't believe? That's logical. This is a young woman praying maybe in Vietnam. Maybe in Taiwan. She's trying to find God. And there's a lot of people trying to find God, but they can't seem to. The next how, point nine, how will they believe if they've never heard? This is a Buddhist priest, a young man who wants to be devout, but he's never heard about Jesus. I want you to write these numbers down. You need to see this. Maybe you've never heard this. This is dear to our church. I want it to be dear to you. I want you to see how God thinks. When God looks at a 
country like Germany, he doesn't see Germans. When God looks at Nigeria, he doesn't see Nigerians. He sees something called people groups. Everyone say people groups. And there are 17,000. This is the latest figure as of Thursday. Because they change about every couple of weeks because they find new people groups. 17,281 distinct people groups. Distinct means distinct language. In Indonesia, there may be 45 languages. There may be 50 people groups. They have their own distinct food. Their clothing is different. Their culture, how they see life is different. It's a very distinct group. So when God looks at Vietnam, he looks at people groups. He looks at family groups. So out of the 17 people groups on the earth, there's 7,246 people groups that are what we call unreached. <clears throat> there's no church. There's no Bible. There's no pastor. There's no missionary. There's no evangelist. They are trapped. They have not heard like this man. <clears throat> this man is from Tunisia, which is North Africa. This is where he lives in Tunisia. In his people group in Tunisia, which is <clears throat> Tunisian Arab, there's about 12 million. And I looked at the website. <clears throat> How many Christians are there? Here's what it essentially says. If I was to take these first four rows in this section, it's about a handful. 12 million? Handful knows Jesus. That's why they're called unreached. It should break our heart. It breaks the Father's heart. It is not the Father's fault. It's our fault. Because they've been waiting a long time. They haven't heard. Now, out of the unreached, <clears throat> that's about three and a half or 3.4 billion. Billion. I say it again, billion out of 8 billion people. So there's 8 billion on the planet. 3.4 don't have a chance. That's 42% of the world. <clears throat> now, these figures come from the Joshua a Project out of Colorado Springs. They keep their finger on the pulse of missions. Go to their website sometime. But here's something even crazier. Out of the missionaries that go from England and Germany and Korea and America to go and serve and tell people, 30 of them go to places where the gospel already is. There's already a church. They already have a Bible. There's people coming to Christ, and they go there, and they just kind of pile on. I'm grateful they're there. But only one out of 30 goes to a place where people have no shot. 
Reason is because it's hard. It's hard in these other places. Plus, it's not just people that live in Tunisia. It may be your own neighbor across the street, because I know how us Americans do. You live in a subdivision, an apartment, or dormitory, and the average American doesn't even know the names of the people across the street, and they've been living there 10 years. They've never been in their home. They've never invited them over for a cookout. They don't know the names of the kids. They don't know. They, they, they just lost their grandmother. They don't know anything about them because we're kind of too busy. I try to get on a short-term trip every year. It's good for my heart. And if I can help some people, good. Awesome. I was going to the Republic of Tuva, which was a former Soviet Union uh, satellite country, Asian, Mongolian people. It's right above rough, mountainous place, right above Mongolia, if you can picture a map. I don't remember, 40 million people or something. And there was one Assembly of God missionary there. He was single. He was about 30. They'd had an outpouring. Tuvans were coming to Christ on a quick basis. And this poor American missionary, he was running himself to death, helping this group and this group. And people don't know what they're doing. They don't know what the Bible says. They're just new believers, excited. He asked me to go and speak at a house church, go to the house church. There's 300 people in a small house. They're former Buddhists, and it's packed so tight, they're standing like this. And I have to push myself to get to the front. I give an invitation. People want to receive Christ, but they can't come forward because they can't get through the crowd. There's Buddhist monks out front protesting. It's like the book of Acts. But on the way over there, I got a brand new roommate I just met. His name was Joe. Joe was a trauma doctor near Baltimore. Joe was 50 years of age. So we're in this hotel, old Soviet-style hotel, looking in, a, in, in beautiful snow in November at uh, St. Basil's Cathedral, which is this onion dome place. And we're just sharing our stories. I said, Joe, tell me, when did you become a Christian? Oh, 16 months ago. 16 months ago? Yeah, 16 months ago. How'd you become a Christian? He said, Steve, I was a cocaine addict for decades. I've been a drunk most of my life. I've been married four times. I have been a serial womanizer. I said, well, I'm glad you're my roommate. <laughs> and he said... I'm stitching up a teenage girl in the ER and she tells me about Jesus and between stage, uh, stitch 10 and stitch 11, she leads me in a prayer to give my heart to Jesus and my life is changed on the spot. And I finish stitching her leg up with tears running down my chin all over her leg and I'm apologizing but I became a new creation in Christ. And he said, I've been traveling in missions as a doctor ever since. He said, as an ER doctor, I'll work 12 days long shifts so I can have 12 days off 
and they cover for me, and I'm on the mission field every six weeks. <clears throat> but here's what he said. I can't believe you can live 50 years in America and no one ever shares Jesus with you. It's because people won't open their mouth. And people won't love people. Paul goes on to say, well, how will they hear without a preacher? Now, I want to say that your translation in your Bible, it says preacher. I don't like that term, even though I are one. Because it's not a good translation. It actually means messenger. You don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to wear a black coat. Don't have to tell jokes or eat chicken. (laughs) But you can be a messenger. How many could be a messenger? Hold your hand up. We can all be messengers. We're all supposed to be messengers. And a messenger is just someone who shares with conviction what they've experienced. And guess what? That's you. That's you. It's not somebody else. It's you. You can do this. It's not hard to do. And then number 11 is, how will they preach, or excuse me, how will they share unless somebody sends them? What does that mean? Sends them. I put them on a plane. I throw them in an Uber. It means this. I don't have any favorites today, honest. (laughs) That word send means equip them, train them. Anything you're good at, you're good at it because somebody trained you. And great performers have had really good training. We can help you with the training part. We have something called COS Go. Would you repeat that, please? COS Go. What is COS Go? It's a brand new ministry. It's about our people. Right after the second service, they put on their coats. They go out in the street. They go to the hospitals, go to the malls, go to the parks, and they just love people. And they pray for people. And if they get a chance, they tell people about Jesus and how they can have a life change. Sundays, right after this service in the lobby, group of people, if you want to do it, you can do it one time. My friend Susan Polston is leading this, and Fontes, our youth pastor, is leading it. And I want you to say, I want you to know people are open, they're just open, they're looking. They can't find people to talk to them. And I found people are very, very, very open. <clears throat> Just want to remind you, strangers witnessed to this drunk teenager in front of a bar as an 18-year-old. Changed my life. Eight minutes. Eight minutes. Changed my life and my entire family. I don't even know who they were. 
We do evangelism explosion, which is 12 weeks of training, six to nine, Thursday nights. We start in about two weeks. I took this training 35 years ago. It gave me confidence. I've been a better soul winner ever since. Why do we do this? Because people need Jesus, and we got to train people how to tell them. This is what heaven treasures. It's the fifth hell. Are you ready? Can you guess what it is? That. How beautiful are the feet. I didn't say stinky or not stinky. I didn't say clean or not clean. I just said beautiful. Are the feet of those who blank good news. Uh, it's not who think they have good news. Oh, I think I got news. Oh, I think I got it. I think I got it. Or who wish, boy, I wished I could talk to somebody because I think I might, I could help them. Or who hope, yeah, maybe I have something that could help you and I hope we can find time to talk sometime. Or who even know, hey, I have good news that would help you. None of those qualify. Who bring good news? If you don't bring it, it's not good news because you kept it to yourself. It was good news for you. It was not good news for anybody else. And there's people all around you who are looking desperately for good news. So, just to make sure you're kind of tracking, let's go back to what Paul said. Are you ready? How can they call if they've not believed? Look at the logic. Are you following me? How can they believe if they never heard? And how can they hear unless somebody tells them? And then, how can they tell unless we train the tellers? And the last how is, how beautiful are the feet? Of those who bring good news. Now, the people that help me don't know they really helped me come to Christ. Those two street preachers, I never got their name. They never got my name. I'll see them in heaven. And I'm not sure what I'm going to do. When I see Jesus first, I will be on my face. And my arms will be around his ankle saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. I don't deserve to be here. But if I see those two young street preachers, I'm probably going to hit the deck and thank them for witnessing that baseball coach that took me and spent two hours with me talking to me about the Lord. I'm going to do the same for him. And when I see that 85-year-old woman who won't be 85 in heaven, she'll probably be 25, and she'll, she'll know. I didn't know, Steve. I didn't know you were in the crowd. I never talked to you. I didn't know. I said, well, Louise, I'm in heaven because you came. And I heard. <clears throat> so the people with beautiful feet are the people that go. Does that make sense? That's why you have feet. Do you know why you have feet? Are you curious? you know why you have feet? Look at your feet. See them? The reason you have feet is so you can go. That means people that initiate. If I get on an elevator, I want to say good day or 
If I'm in a hospital, do you have family members here? How are they doing? I want to try to start conversations with people. I love to meet people. You should love to meet people too. Well, I'm an introvert. Just get over it. <laughs> well, I'm an extrovert. Shut up sometime. <laughs> That's on me. <clears throat> Learn people's names. You, I found I can't minister to people if I don't know their name. I'm not going to let a waiter or waitress wait on me. Will I say, excuse me, what, what's your name? If I'm getting in an Uber, if I'm in Baltimore, Atlanta, the first question will be, are you a serial murderer? No, I won't do that. What's your name? How long have you been doing this? I want to start conversations. <clears throat> and we need to be people who invite other people into their lives. You've got a table at your house. You can invite people over. <clears throat> you can have coffee with people. And then you need to learn sooner or later how to share the gospel. <clears throat> And then actually, like, do it. Like, do it. And yet, most Christians in America, the, the facts show it. We are distracted. We're busy. And there's nothing wrong with busy. But don't neglect things. <clears throat> that are eternal. So do you want beautiful feet? Or would that be a yes or no? Want beautiful feet? Yeah. Would you like to snatch people from hell? Guess what? There is a real place called hell. Never meant for a human. It was designed for the devil and his angels, the super criminals. But if they won't receive, G they won't receive Christ, they are their own God. I was part of two funerals yesterday. Uh, and I usually accept invitations to do those kind of things because I always tell people about Jesus and heaven and forgiveness. But you can keep people from one place and help people find their Savior and find heaven. Worship team, would you guys come? Now here's what I did. I'm 18. Not now, obviously, I'm only 45. <laughs> times two. <clears throat> Received Christ at 18, I was on fire for God. Oh my goodness. My mentor, the baseball coach and high school English teacher, he was a soul winner. I saw him lead people to Christ. I went, Lord, I'm scared. But I prayed for two years, Lord, make me a soul winner. And he did. If you pray, take a couple of steps, he will use you. Because he has a hard time finding people that he can use. I'll tell you one last story. <clears throat> I got this evangelism explosion training when I was a seminary student and in my first little church it was 50 people middle of nowhere <clears throat> and I just got burdened for all these people down these farm lanes and 
lonely roads and and I thought to myself I've never been a pastor before but Lord I'm kind of on the hook for all these people you said to me in Ezekiel that if I'm a watchman on the wall and if stuff happens and I don't warn them it's on me what do I do so I asked a lady who just lost her husband she was a farm manager for a racehorse farm. I said, Gladys, I don't know if this will work, but we need to lead people to Jesus, and I'm just as scared. Would you take this training? Let's do it together. She said, I'll help you. And then uh, a guy that ran, he owned a 200-acre hog farm. Willard loved the Lord. Both of them are with the Lord today. I, I would have never done it without him. I said, Willard, would you join me and Gladys, and let's study this. Let's learn the scriptures. Let's learn some illustrations. <clears throat> Let's learn how to talk some, to some people. They said, we'll do it. <clears throat> so we did it for 12 weeks. We'd study for an hour and practice a little bit. Then we'd go out and start visiting with people, people we just met. And in 12 weeks, we did it so wrong. It was so upside down. It was so stupid. We kept thinking, why are we doing this? But in 12 weeks, 12 adults came to Christ. And our little country church started growing because those 12 became new people. And then the next semester, some of those new Christians said, we're so grateful, can we do that too? I said, no, let me think about it. Okay. And so there were nine of us. Then there were 12 of us and there were 16 of us. And we started seeing people come to Christ every week. Well, one one week... I guess we were three or four years in. We had this family that visited our church. They were pretty secular people. And so I had their names. And so I turned to my best team, my most noble, loving, best soul winners. And I said, I want you to go see this family tonight. Love on them. Pray for them. If you get a chance, share the gospel with them. And the leader said, we're not doing that. I said, What? You don't know those people. You're not from Shelby County. We don't want those people here. I said, come on. All right. So they just wouldn't go. We'll go somewhere else. So I turned to the next group and I said, would you guys go? And the leader said, no, no. We know Jesus changes lives for some people. But there's some people the gospel won't help. And I said, you knuckleheads. I'll go, and I talked one other foolish, I mean one other faithful man into going with me. And so we knocked on that door, and the wife was surprised. Aren't you that preacher? Yes, ma'am, I'm sorry. She said, well, come on in. And there were a bunch of kids and neighbor kids, and grandma was in there, and the husband was gone. And she said, come in. I said, well, I'd love to talk to Gene and pray with him. And she said, well, he's gone to run errands. He'll be back. Well, we waited an hour. <laughs> Sat in there and did small talk for an hour. And then Gene came through the door, and he filled up the door. <clears throat> he was a big old boy and gruff. And he sat down, and God said, what are you guys doing here? What's We're from the local church, and you visited us, and we just wanted to love on you, get to know you. And so we started talking about faith. 
And I asked him this question. I said, have you come to the place in your spiritual life where you know for certain if you were to die, you'd go to heaven? Or is that something you're still working on? And that big man sitting on the couch 10 feet from me, he put his elbows on his knees and he looked down and started shaking his head. And I was going, I am like in so much trouble right now. I'm going to get body parts rearranged or something. And the devil kept saying, see there, I told you. You shouldn't be pushy. You shouldn't talk to people. You shouldn't do this, shouldn't that. And then after, it seemed like he didn't say anything. And finally he looked up and he had a tear running down his cheek. He said, you're not going to believe this while you guys are here tonight. I said, well, you tell me. He said, 10 years ago, he's a career Air Force officer. 10 years ago, he said, I had my annual exam and they found a big mass in my left lung. And they were going to try to take that lung out and save my life. And on the day before, before they were supposed to take my lung out, I prayed the first prayer I can ever remember praying. I said, what'd you pray? What do you think he prayed? Lord, if you spare, I don't even know if you'll talk to me because we've been, we've been not friends for a long time. But he said, Lord, if you'll save my life, I'll give you my life. I'll serve you. I said, what happened? The x-ray before showed there was nothing in my lung. I said, what did you do then? He said, I went back on my promise. And he said, I've been running for 10 years. I said, well, God knows where you are. And God still loves you. And God will help you. And Gene got on his knees in front of his mother-in-law, his wife, all those grandkids, and gave his heart to Christ. And he and his whole family became Christians, and they became pillars in that church. I just want to tell you, anybody can tell others about Jesus. If you get some training, you'll be more confident. But why don't you do what I did? Why don't you ask him to make you a soul winner? So let's close this time in prayer. And the altar is open. There's people that will pray for you. Father, I just ask in Jesus' name that you release a burden for souls in this room. Help us to learn to step over our fears so we can give good news. Call every one of us in this room to share the gospel. In Jesus' name. I want you to respond during the last part of this worship time. Any way he tells you. Hosanna, Hosanna in 
Life is so short. If you have a burden here for somebody or you feel a burden, you should do something. Take the step and do it. That's the voice of God's Spirit saying, let's partner. You be the junior partner, I'll be the senior partner. Just tell him yes. And Father, for those watching online or those in the room that have never surrendered to Jesus, never been saved, that today they would pray a powerful but brief prayer that just say with me, Lord Jesus, I need you. Come into my heart today and be my Savior and Lord. I'm tired of running and I surrender to you. Make me your child. Forgive me and give me a home in heaven and I promise to serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Serve well. If you need prayer or you prayed that prayer, see one of us before you leave. Thank you for joining us online at Church of the Savior today. We hope you were encouraged to grow in your walk with Jesus. If you made a decision to follow Jesus for the first time today, please reach out to us. We would love to help you take your next step. Please visit our website for information on upcoming events and how you can connect with the COS family. There is also a prayer request form where you can let us know how we can pray for you. Thanks again for tuning in. Hope to see you next week.